WBT Productions presents Hosh Rubat, Episode 4, Mind Melding and Badisa's Future. Part 1. A massacre best described the violent clash between the town of Haran and the soccer clan. The Arab militant force led by the monster known as Abu Talib. Captain Art was a born warrior. His son Cass felt enormous pride as his father rode with his men to meet Abu Talib. That pride had given way to the deep shame in his father's eyes upon his return, alone. Art was the sole survivor, spared to show Haran that even her mightiest would fall beneath Abu Talib's boot. Cass saw the green grass where he and his sister had played as children, drenched in the blood of Haran's people. He was among those chosen to strip the corpses of weapons, jewels, all things precious. Anything that might aid Abu Talib in further conquest was to be kept from his grasp. It was more than just the blood that filled Cass's mind. So many terrible, unspeakable images that would never leave his memory until death finally took them from him. Yet suddenly, the memories were gone, washed away. The battlefield, his father's look of shame, all cast aside by a single image. A city. The city. There was nothing like it in all the world, in all of history. Cass stood before it, enraptured by its beauty, by its promise of peace and order. He was not alone. Cass! Cass! He woke. In one hand, he held his dagger. In the other, he clutched the robe of one of Abu Talib's men. Cass glared at the man, his body seized by rage. What have you done to her? What have you done to her? Cass pressed the dagger against the man's throat. The man pleaded with his eyes. Cass! Cass, stop! Stop! And then, clarity. It all came back. The battle, the defeat, both over long ago. He was Cass, captain of the Arabian Sacker clan, though not by choice. His family was with him, his mother, father, and sister Ziba, kept alive only by the will of Abu Talib. 
He released the man who quickly raced away and tossed the dagger to the sand. Finally, he dropped to his knees, his energy spent. Zeba bent beside him. What's troubling you, Cat? Are you ill? She held him close and cried for him. He was home, but he was changed once and for all. Luca, keeper of the Chamber of Magic, watched from afar as young Cass woke from delusion. The boy was unconscious now, exhausted by the episode. Good, thought Luca. I have seen enough for one day. Peering into the minds of other wizards was often difficult and painful for both parties, especially when done without the benefit of dreamstones. This was not the case with lesser beings, yet now, Merely scrying on this simple human, Luca had to limit his exposure to the briefest of glimpses. Even then, he thought, the human would be lucky not to find himself hurled into permanent lunacy. Luca lay upon his bed. He tapped into the dream world and, in an instant, fell into sleep. He felt fatigue gnawing at his bones more often than not these days. Perhaps it was not only time for the succession of Hashruba's king, but for its keeper of magic as well. Later that night, again, Luca watched. He saw Huran. He saw Cass, age four, as he played at his mother's feet. He was a very imaginative child, curious about his environment. His mother prepared the evening meal, keeping one eye firmly upon her son. She smiled at him, as a mother does to her child. This was human nature, Luca knew. For if the mother did not protect her child at such a vulnerable age, what would become of it? This the humans called love. But as Luca knew, it was nothing more than a mixture of the humors of the human body. There was nothing mystical about it, despite the musings of their poets and philosophers. This did not mean Luca thought less of their emotions. In fact, he knew it was one of the things that kept them alive, kept them working together for the greater good. But such depth of meaning applied to the actions of a child. Perhaps Luca assumed too much. Luca continued to watch the child a few moments longer, then continued on, passing through the threads of time. 
Years passed before him like grains of sand in an hourglass. He stopped his passage, resuming his observations. Now the boy was with his father. They were not in Haran. Rather, they lingered at the edge of a forest. The dark forest? wondered Luca. The father knelt beside his son. The boy held in his hands a bow. It was plain and unadorned, designed for a child. Still, it was large and heavy in his small hands. He studied the elegant bow in his father's grip. Perhaps it would be passed down to Cass one day, his inheritance. But in the meantime, he would be taught to hunt, to respect his weapon, and to respect the animal that would provide food for him and his family. Lucas sensed love here too, love of the father for his son. This was not surprising, for once more, what parent does not feel love for their child? But there was something more. These humans were usually taught not to express such love for their children, for many considered it a sign of weakness. But this was not the case for Cass's father. He was proud of his son. Luca began to tire. This must end soon, he knew, for to linger too long would mean... An intense pain tore at Luca. His mind battered. He lost control over time and space. He threw himself from its path, his consciousness emerging again in his own body, lying prone inside the chamber of magic. He lay still upon the floor, fatigue weighing over him. The answer, he had it, but only for an instant. It flitted away from him with each passing moment, like a forgotten dream. What had he been looking for? Why did he have such a strong connection to this boy? Luca was deeply troubled by his inability to uncover these answers. The boy was human, after all. It should have been a simple task to find what he... Then it came to Luca, drawn to him as naturally as a hummingbird to nectar. Perhaps he had already known, and all along was unwilling to face it. The boy was no doubt connected to the prophecy. His arrival to Hoshruba and the psychic pull of the boy's thoughts to Luca, yet the pain experienced in his attempts to peer into the boy's mind. The truth was vividly clear to him. But even with this one answer, many more questions began to form. Let's see how you fare against your kin. 
General Kopala of the Hoshrubian army would rather be damned than allow anyone the satisfaction of seeing his pain. Even here, inside the dark forest, he would not let these forgotten ones break him. This forgotten one, distinguishable from the others by one withered arm, slapped his strong hand over Kapala's face. Why have you come? And with that question came the pain. Kopala felt his skin stretching taut over his muscles, as though it had become thin, wet leather. He winced as it pulled on him. Do it! He challenged his captor, and so he complied. Kopala felt his body constrict further, impossibly tight, until the flesh began to rip apart across his tortured body. Why have you come? <clears throat> Released, Kopala fell to the forest ground. He turned his face into the cool dirt. It felt soothing against the sting of thousands of cuts to his skin. Of course, it was but a brief respite. His captor pulled him roughly to his feet. Kopala lashed out with a savage backhand, hard enough to knock the creature off its feet if it had connected. It had dodged the attack, however, and countered with one of its own. A mangled palm pressed against Kopala's chest, pulling his skin further apart. This time, Kopala could not help but scream at the unexpected attack. Why? Kopala laughed through the pain. Well, I heard you the first time. And here's my answer. He spit into the thing's face, his attack connecting for the first time. Kopala was surprised to see the thing reel back. You feel disgusted? Seems now we have something in common. Somewhat at least. For I am sure I feel at least a thousand times more than you. The creature stared at him. This thing had never seen a pure Hoshubian, thought Kopala. It was probably brought here less than a day after its birth, left on its own to survive within the forest, like many before it and many to come. And survive it had. These creatures were more organized than he had anticipated, making them a greater threat than he had ever thought possible. The creature released him. This time, Kopala kept his head up and his eye upon his interrogator. Continue as long as you like. Follow with as many of you as you can. I am a Hoshrubian warrior. 
and I am your drinks. The thing you and your kind hate most of all. It knelt down before him, looked into his eyes. Your time is ending, Ashrubian! The thing stood, peered down at Kopala, as if he were the dregs, the filth the creature spoke of. The first blow has been struck, with many more to follow! The thing stood, turned, and was gone. Kopala felt uneasy for the first time in his life. The first blow? Was the thing referring to Hoshruba? To the fissure in her walls? No, it's impossible. He whispered to himself. Unless... His words faded away. Unless they were the ones to have created it. He stood, taking a few steps forward. He felt the rope tighten against his wrists. He looked over his shoulder. The other end was tied about a tree. He tested the knot. Nothing. At least they could tie a damn knot. Deep down, he realized the situation was both more complex and dangerous than any of them had imagined. Perhaps, he thought, if I can escape here, I ought to suggest a change in how we deal with these creatures in the future. With that last thought, the forest around him turned to black. On the next episode... Princess Bedisa of Hoshruba stood before Luca inside the Chamber of Magic. I'm ready. It's time I began my initiation. What made you choose now? Because it is my right. And my father, he needs my help. Tomorrow, when the sun is broken, come back. Nestled within the Arabian Desert Valley, far north of the city of Hajar, Abu Tali was entertaining a most unusual guest. How many kinds are there? May as well ask how many kinds of humans there are. The nameless one shrugged belonged to Susruko. So please accept my offer. Abu Talib's blade was silent as he used it to sever the Forgotten One's head. Magic. Give me a soul every time. In the halls of Hoshruba, King Batraz regarded Princess Badisa. I... You don't think I'm ready. I know you are ready. I just want you to be sure that this is truly what you wish. I know the dangerous father. I want to begin my initiation, to become what I was born to be. Then let this be the last time you take to the knee. We are no longer father and daughter. I am the past. You are the future. One of the king's guards entered. Sir, take her to Luca. This has been Hoshruba, Episode 4. Mind Melding and Medisa's Future, Part 1, created by WBT Productions. 
Written by Brent Beebe. Produced by Farouk Shah Khan. Directed by Elio Rep Hernandez. Sound mixer and sound editor, Joshua Krell. Sound recordist, Jensen Young. Sound mixer, post sound, and sound editor for credits, Sophie Huang. Narrated by Darren Johnson. Voiceover artists, Madison Lippi as Ziba. Nima Yazdani as Cass. Nabil Ahwad as the Arabian soldier. Bruce Kaplan as Luca. Jeffrey Gilbert as General Kapala. Jonathan Lacosto as the Forgotten Ones. Credits voice by Steve Gray. Stay tuned for Hoshruba, Episode 4, Mind Melding and Medisa's Future, Part 2.